This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to uh, another special version of the Chelsea Fancast. I'm Stanford Chidge, of course, and uh, it's time to do another My Chelsea, which I like a lot, as you all know. And uh, this version of My Chelsea has been long... uh, Well, I've been waiting a long time to do it, and uh, I kind of blame myself for that, really. But I'm really delighted to say that I've got a very good friend of mine. In fact, um, I think I could possibly say that the last time I got absolutely properly pissed at Chelsea... Uh, I mean this, he won't believe me, but it's true. The last time I got properly pissed at Chelsea, I was in his great company and the silly tart paid the, for the whole damn bill as well. So I probably owe him quite a few beers, that's for sure. But it's, it's the lovely Brian Wolf, and you'll know him from uh, Chelsea's Chicago, of course, but also we know him because he does a brilliant job in getting a lot of the uh, the banners uh, uh, you know, sorted out at Stamford Bridge. So Brian, my old China, how are you? I'm well. It's lovely to see you. We, yes, are far overdue to do this, mm. but in some ways, it, uh, I don't, it's very fortuitous that we're doing it this weekend with everything going on with the club. You know, being an international fan and uh, going through probably the most turmoil that, you know, any international fan has experienced. The timing probably couldn't be better to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know what? I, we'll have a little bit of what they like to call uh, bonus content. Um, for that, because I think it would be it would be stupid of me not to talk to you about that and get your perspective. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, we were talking about it on the show the other day, but all of us are really old gits, so we've seen quite a few existential crises at Chelsea. But I think this one perhaps tops them all potentially, uh, and then again, not because you know I'm pretty certain we'll get a buyer one way or another, so things will carry on. But anyway, we'll talk about that at the end. I think. Uh, we need to get on with talking about you, Brian. That's why you're here. Um, so, uh, you know, first question, of course, how did you become a Chelsea fan? Yeah, so I, I said I, I don't really have a superhero origin story to this. It's not anything special. Um, you know, going back, I, I started playing football when I was five. I played my entire life and, you know, was aware of Chelsea in the Premier League going back to 
the late nineties and played with them on FIFA. Um, but you know, for people who don't remember, or aren't aware, you know, games were not broadcast here. Um, you know, you couldn't watch it on TV. It was hard enough to watch the domestic league and, and MLS, um, much less anything overseas. So I actually, I actually ended up, uh, quitting and not playing for several years until I went to college. And I picked that up again in 2006, um, specifically because when I moved into my off-campus housing, our cable package came with uh, the old Fox soccer channel. And a lot of my friends listening to this will remember that. And I remember watch, being able to watch Chelsea on a regular basis for the first time. And, you know, really they're the catalyst for why I started playing again, um, you know, falling in love with all of those great players, obviously, you know, winning uh, helps, but the rest is history from there. And, you know, I guess what I would add it, you know, going uh, based on timing, I, I was in Charleston this past wedding, uh, this past weekend for uh, a wedding. And it was a friend from high school with whom I had played, but we didn't keep in touch in high school and we didn't keep in touch since. Um, we ended up uh, by chance in the same recreational league, our teams playing against each other uh, about 10 years ago. And now we're great friends. And we were standing around after the wedding about you know 12 of us all kind of like looking at how we met and the whole kind of friendship tree that branched out from that is because, you know, Chelsea made me start playing football again. I went into this league. I met two of those individuals and it kind of just, you know, kicked on from there. And we have a group of 12 people who are all really great friends. So I, I think, you know, when I answer that question, I'm always interested to know how people became a Chelsea supporter, but I also like to know what the community means to them. And for me, it's so much more than the results. It's, you know, without that, I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know Dan, Alex, Dane, uh, Richard, Steve. I, I wouldn't know any of my friends even here in Chicago. So I guess in, in some parallel universe somewhere, I'm not playing football anymore. I'm not associated with Chelsea and I'm perhaps friendless. I mean, exactly, Brian. It's, it's, it, the, the commonality is, is very uncanny and I often find this, but, um, I, do, I mean, I, I can't possibly know what it's like to support Chelsea living in America as an American. I can only really know what it's like here. And, you know, football is such a massive part of the culture here. You can't really avoid it unless you're weird. Uh, plenty of weird people in this country, mind, mind you. But uh, you can't really avoid it. And it becomes part of you. It's quite easy. Okay, you can take it to another level, and I totally get that. And in fact, that's kind of what happened to me. I was a shit fan for years and years and years and years. Lazy, terribly lazy, as people well know. And I wasn't born into it either, which is, of course, another traditional route here. So I kind of wonder what it must be like. to, to, to how, do you, how do you find a team in the States? How does that process work? And then when you do, how do you follow them when, I mean, I know you know you you do come over very regularly but I, I suspect a lot of americans they just don't get that chance so how does it work over there yeah i i think you know a lot of the simple reasons are best a lot of supporters here fall in love with the player they play with the team on on fifa on playstation um they like the color blue i mean it could be you know a family friend or perhaps they had uh some kind of visit abroad and and went to a match i know that for a couple of people um a lot of people will pick a club. Um, I, I think the prevailing kind of growing uh, sense of things is that 
know, people are starting to understand, don't pick a team because you might not actually love it. Um, watch as much as you can, enjoy the sport. And when you know, you'll know. And for me, it was, you know, the results aside, the, the, the community around Chelsea is the most important thing to me. I've always wanted to do more and contribute where I can. And from my perspective, I want people to have at least the opportunity to have the experiences that I've had, whether or not they take it, it's up to them. But if they can have opportunities that are available to them that, that necessarily weren't available to me or others, or at least as easy to access, I would say that that's progress for us moving forward. Yeah, definitely. I think we should actually have a kind of a, almost like a biological law, which means you shouldn't actually be able to pick your football team, that you either have to be born into it or you're, you're kind of, when you're born, whatever's out there in the ether that decides these things, decides who you have to support and then you have to stick with it. You know, I think that'd be much better. You know? Is that the next UK government regulation coming? Yeah, well, very possibly, down from high? very yeah. possibly, right. But I think that should be it. So if you just have the bad luck to end up, you know, as a Portsmouth fan to just clutch one out of randomness, then that's it. That is your lot for life. Or if you're a Spurs fan, then you're really in the shit, obviously. But there you go. Anyway, uh, no, it's good. It's interesting stuff. So, I mean, I, I said a minute ago, and I know anyway, because I've seen you over in the UK lots, and I'm, I'm delighted to say that. But uh, what was your first Chelsea game in the flesh? I mean, because it might have been in the States, of course, because they tour there a lot, don't they? Yeah. So, um, the actually, I, I've got two answers, answers to this. The first game was um, in 2009 when they came to play in Baltimore. Um, they played the friendly against AC Milan. Um, they won. Um, Drogba scored an incredible goal from like 30 yards. Um, and the winner was scored like five minutes from time, uh, coincidentally by the Russian Yuri Zhirkov. Uh, so they won that match 2-1. And I had an opportunity to meet a lot of people I, I had known online uh, a couple of years prior following Chelsea. And it was a great opportunity. The first time I was able to get over to the UK uh, and my first match was May 3rd, 2015, um, which obviously, for a lot of reasons, was a very, very special day. What happened? We won the league. Of course. Yeah. Of course we did. And, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so to, to have that as your first match, and I remember you saying, although I don't think I ran into you, um, after the match when we were all at the Finbro, and drinking it dry and then having to go to all the off licenses and buy up all their booze until they were dry too. Um, we ended up staying out till about 3 a.m. that night. And um, it was such an incredibly amazing day. Um, not a cloud in the sky, sunshine. There was such a good feeling about the team. Um, after having gone through that whole season, you know, five years having not won it. So to be there on that day, um, that, is, that is one of the best moments. It, it, I don't know that that can be top for me. Um, what I will add on to that, though, is I do owe you an apology because I, I forget if you were doing the recap show the next day or the day after, but I was too hungover to show up for the benches um, and uh, taking the fan cast live. So that's on me. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to think, uh, you know, where where I would have been, actually. I mean, I, I, I would have certainly been in London. That's for sure. And I, I do I do remember you actually you, you say 2015 because the lot ah right i'm just trying to yeah. think i'm just trying to think mate because uh i think you got the date wrong because it was the 24th because it was sunderland at home wasn't it uh no we went against, no you're thinking of 2017 am i oh you said 15 yeah, didn't you the last, 
yeah do, yeah i do apologize well we we win the league so many times it, it's uh it's easy to get confused no right? i was right i was right first time and i i do remember it was it, it's definitely the sunderland match and i i remember vividly because i remember the scenes outside the fimbra were just absolutely mental i've got some great pics of it i remember having a victory cigar with rick glanville and getting <laughs> very very shit-faced very shit-faced and uh and I'm just trying to think as well. I would have been in London, definitely. I'm sure I would have been still in London there. I pr- to- I'll have John Sharp and Vidouche came. Yeah. They made it. Yeah. Uh, me and my friend Mark did not make it. Not to the Fimbra. We still went to a, uh, no, to uh, a couple of days later when you did the live show. Ah. Um, my friend Mark and I, I think we just went to the pub. That so explains that it. Priorities. I wonder if I was still doing the show at that funny TV station then. Maybe I think I it might have been. Yeah, I think it. I'll be, ask John. I think it must have been because we had benches there. I'm sure we were still doing it there at the time, but there you go. That was a great night. I mean, actually, it's really pertinent now, isn't it, when you think about it? Because uh, when you think about what's going on with the club now and uh, what we stand to lose, and uh, all the people that accuse us of saying, "Oh, you, you're all, you're all uh, Putin sympathisers and warmongers and hate Ukraine because you love Abramovich," and I keep trying to explain them, no, we don't love Abramovich quite like that. You know, what we love is what he's given us. And it's not about the trophies. It's about nights like that. That pure joy of being outside the Fimbra for hours, getting really shit-faced with all the people you love. That's what I thank him for, you know. So I kind of get that. Anyway. Rest in peace to the Finn. Yeah, it's a shame. It's no longer there, is it? That's that's very true. Um, I mean, you've been over loads of times since. I know we're going to talk about that, aren't we? are going to talk about some favourite matches in a minute. But uh, let's have a look at some of your favourite players. Um, yeah, so I mean, just kind of looking at this, I mean, there's a bunch that are great, but but the ones that really stand out, especially kind of early days, um, Zola, obviously, um, absolutely brilliant player, especially at his age. And, you know, I, th- I think it really shows the kind of character that he has too. And, you know, he easily could have stayed for another season or two and taken the extra money, but he made a commitment to leave and, and he followed through on that. And I think that really sums up what he was as a player and representative of the club. Um, I, I adore Michael Essien. I think that if he had stayed injury free, he would have been one of the best five midfielders ever to play in the league. Uh, he was actually the first shirt I, I ever bought. And uh, my all time favorite, it's never going to change. It's Frank Lampard. Um, he's the best player we've ever had. I can't see, I really can't see his goal uh, tally being surpassed. And that has nothing to do with the fact that we can't settle uh, a number nine <laughs> that we uh, always spend so much money on. But um, when you look at, you know, his contributions to the club going past the goals and and how many, just how many pivotal matches and moments that he was here for, it's unparalleled. Mm. I think you're right, actually. I mean, it's, it's, it's actually really refreshing to talk to somebody who, well, I mean, you know, a lot of people will say Frank. I mean, I think I might have said Frank, actually, because just having been lucky enough to be there in the ground for his entire Chelsea career. And it's not, you know, I, I I didn't get a season ticket until about the same time that Frank arrived, actually. It's the same year, I think. Um, you know, so I really felt I was part of that, you know. Uh, when you're there every week, you kind of get that sense of ownership in a way, I suppose, don't you? Um, and yeah, I had lots of players from the 80s when I first started going because of that, that weird time when you first go and you're a lot younger you know, I mean, like Kerry, for me, yeah. he was like everything that I wasn't, you know, big, tall, blonde haired, blue eyed, fucking great at football, scored goals, really cool. I was much a bit, I was a bit more like Pat Nevin, which is also why I like Pat Nevin, funnily enough, 
bit of an indie kid, bit scrawny, you know, bit acerbic, you know, all the rest of it. But Kerry was the antithesis to me, and that's why I just loved him because I thought. Yeah. Also, a big difference. Kerry probably a lager drinker and uh, not a Guinness fan. Now Kerry's like me; he'll actually drink anything. <laughs> to be fair, but anyway, we digress. But I love the fact that you talk about Michael Essien, really, Brian, because I think I don't think Brian, uh, I don't think uh, Michael Essien gets enough love. Actually, I think he was he was such a special player, and uh, it's funny, isn't it, how how players like that often kind of worm their way into Chelsea fans' hearts. I, You know, if, if we're thinking about him trying to quantify it, can can someone name during that period two better goals than the one he scored uh, against Arsenal and then the one against Barcelona? I, I can't think of a better goal that was scored by a Chelsea player. I mean, maybe Drogba at Everton, um, uh, the, the half volley from like 40 yards, but... Uh, that's the only one in my mind that that actually comes close. He was a brilliant player, and you know we've never replaced him. We've never kind of had that two way box to box player who, um, I mean, basically was just uh, a brick house yeah. that he could he could run you down, run you over. He could score, he could pass, he could defend. Uh, we've never really replaced that, in my opinion. No, I think that's a really that's a really good point. I, mean, I, th- I think that that goal he scored against Arsenal. I, I think I, I can't remember. I was either on holiday in St. Lucia or I was at a party in London, you know, like one of those parties you can't get out of going to. And I I think it might have been the latter because I, I think I might have been with a load of friends who were all Arsenal fans. So we were all watching the game whilst everybody else was having the party. And I just went absolutely fucking apeshit when that girl <laughs> went in and they were very not happy. I'm sure it was that game. Anyway, um, there we. I did say we we're going to talk about some matches a minute ago, didn't I? And we are indeed. So I mean, I know you, 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 you've put down here what what I often say, which is you have the memory of a goldfish, and I really, I do, I do have huge sympathy with that, Brian, because I know what I'm like. Um, but let, you know, let's run through a few of your favourite matches since the time that you've been following Chelsea. Yeah, and it's it's a bit unique. So trying to make this a little bit easier on my mind, I've, I've tried to stick to you know. Uh, live matches or ones that stand out or I have some kind of a, a memory for. I mean, you could go back and you could look at performances and, and things of that nature. But I, I mean, I'm going to forget, honestly, a lot of those. So, um, you know, a, a lot of these just in, in recent memory, um, you know, when uh, when we beat Liverpool at Anfield in 2014 and Gerard slipped and, you know, that stands out to me just because uh, at the time uh, here in Chicago, we shared our pub with Liverpool and a number of other clubs. And we had an agreement that day that we would split the pub kind of half and half um, and fit about 150 people into each room. So as it turns out, uh, Liverpool packed the pub and we had about 30 of us in the back and and we're surrounded by them. So for 90 minutes, we just went crazy, singing, drinking. So when he slipped and, you know, we went nuts. And when the second goal went in, uh, when, when Torres and then William uh, walked that one in and Jose ran over to the away end. Um, I mean, people just started leaving the pub in droves. Um, I mean, even before the final whistle. So uh, I, I, you know, I don't think it's a big secret that I loathe everything about Liverpool football club. Uh, so having that moment um, in real time is something that I'll cherish forever. That was definitely, definitely one to be at. That's for sure. Um, I mean, if, if we had to, I mean, have you got any more or do we want to, do we want to go into your favorite match? Yeah. I mean, you know, sticking with the Liverpool thing, um, the, the 2008 um, Champions League semifinal, uh, the second leg. I mean, I, I mean, what a match, um, you know, to, to go to the first European Cup final uh, in our history and, and to do it 
that way. I, I remember, you know, Benitez giving Drogba a bunch of flack in the press the week before. So when Drogba scored in the first half and they slid right in front of Rafa um, to really kind of hammer that point home, um, you know, it's just amazing scenes on that. Um, both Champions League finals for for different that we won for different reasons. Uh, anytime did you, did you get a, Did you get a ticket for either of those? Uh, no, I, you know, so I'll say this, I, I skipped Porto this year. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have been terribly hard for me to go. And, you know, I would have loved to be there. Um, at the same time, I've got responsibilities here running the supporters club. It, it was the biggest game in, I mean, in our supporters club history, we were, you know, at Greystone, our, our lovely bar for five years now, and it was going to be their biggest game. So, you know, I would have loved to personally be there in Porto, but uh, to leave kind of the planning and organization, everything on the day to other people, you know, that that's the responsibility we take, I think, as leaders. And, and we owe it to, you know, to all of our friends there. I've got so many friends that um, are just because of Chelsea, as I said, um, I wanted to share that day with them. So as much as I miss the sunshine and hanging out with with Walker and Richard and and everyone else, um, we watched that one here in Chicago, and I'm happy with that decision. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about Greystone, because, I mean, I, I know about it, but a lot of other people might not, and it's a fantastic thing you've got going on there, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, our, our club in some way, shape, or form has been around since 2007. Um, for roughly the last 10 years, I've been running it. Um, I'm extremely thankful for all the people that I've met. We've got uh, great – I've got great friends helping me, and, and Carlos, who's my number two – um, you know, Rob, who's, you know, I, I joke is our tech guy, but he does, he does so much more than that. Our owners, Sam and Kyle have, I mean, moved heaven and earth to accommodate basically any requests that we've had in order to make sure that we have a great environment there, uh, with singing, with capacity, um, in this instance. So we were still under COVID regulations. So we were lucky that we could all gather for it, but we had a limited amount of people. So, um, we knew that we wouldn't be able to fit everyone. They opened up their second bar um, and we were able to kind of move overflow there and make sure that it was also uh, a pro Chelsea environment. And, you know, I'm, I absolutely love being there, but, you know, for the first time I mentioned earlier that we shared pubs, this is Chelsea only for the first time we have uh, a bar that's dedicated to us where we can, you know, keep flags and banners up permanently. Um, and, and I'm so thankful to ownership and everyone who comes out each and every week and contributes to that because, you know, if we go back, you know, even like five, six, seven years, I can remember matches kicking off at 6.30 a.m. here. We've had like four or five people. And, you know, at that time now we'll have like 50 or 60. And for the big ones, we'll have, you know, an excess of two, 250 people. Wow. That's, that's actually, that is actually pretty, pretty impressive, I think. 200 people. That's amazing. So, how, I mean, are the the owners Chelsea. I mean, what, how does that work with the owners then? I mean, they are now. <laughs> they, <laughs> they didn't know. I, it it kind of started. So we we left our old pub. I mean, you know, we're out on these day long binges. Not that you know um, anything about that, uh, especially when it comes to I me. Know, but... I know one or two of things about day long binges, uh, Brian. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, just take what we do uh, when I'm over there and bring it back here. And we'd walk down from our pub, which uh, is by Wrigley Field. And, you know, we walk in because we had mutual friends um, who knew the owners. And that's how we met them. Um, we're like, well, this would be a great spot if we wanted our own bar. And a couple of months later, we made the switch. I don't think they know what they were getting themselves into. Um, I, they've only embraced it 100%. 
Uh, they actively watch the matches with us now. I, I want to bring them over on my next trip. Um, and I would say they're, they're actively uh, Chelsea supporters and doing everything that they can to make sure that we have what we need to grow. Brilliant stuff. I hope to make it out there one day. It's, I mean, I, I, I know what it's like. I mean, I've, you know, I mean, it's funny actually. You were talking about, um, you know, watching Chelsea play AC Milan uh, in the what do they call it? The club, the the club world championship. <laughs> ironically, I think they called it, didn't they? In two thousand, the in, the, uh, the ICC, <clears throat> the International yeah. Champions Cup. That's it. Okay, fair enough. But I, I was out in LA, so I, I went out to LA and watched it, watched us play Inter Milan in uh, in the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and uh, I went to Lucky Baldwin's and, and met loads of people in there. It was, it was just a brilliant. I loved every minute of it. It was a brilliant experience. So uh, I kind of get that. So yeah. Anyway, we well, like. Hey, Guinness is our sponsor here. So if you no. needed more incentive, what would you mean? It's your sponsor. So they like they're one of our sponsors. So we have Guinness drink specials every match. They do raffles and uh, they do events for us. They have they actually have a machine that they bring out to the pub. They pour the pint. You put in a, a digital image in the machine and it prints it in the foam. So you can get like a Chelsea badge or our Chelsea Chicago uh, logo in the foam um, of the Guinness pint. There you go. Only in America, folks. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Back to the football, Brian. Uh, it's got a little note down here. Anytime we beat Tottenham. Yes, sir. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, my first match against Tottenham was when we lost uh, several seasons ago at home. Is that, that when Dali Ali scored? Yeah. Because I think twice. that's the only time, really. So it's quite yeah. easy to remember that one, isn't it? M- miserable day, miserable week. I'll, I'll just say I was I was very drunk going into that match, and I'm, I'm glad that I was. But in all the matches since, um, we have beaten them. Um I went with my friend Colin the following year for the the Trippia back pass. Um, was there obviously for the match right before COVID uh, that we won under Frank, and then I just did the uh, the three nil away trip uh, back in September. Yeah, good stuff. You're right. It's, you can't you can't beat uh, any time you beat Tottenham. And uh, the last one you've got is a match that uh, I've actually often described along I should say with John Motson as the uh, the best I think I've ever seen Chelsea play so what match was that uh the five goals we put on Everton under uh Conte mm. uh when we won the league in, in 16-17 I, I probably could have chose like a dozen other matches there but we played so well that day you score five I remember the day out at the pub I you know I have vivid memories of you know being with good friends and us just enjoying the day and at the same time being absolutely shocked that this team that looks so you know frankly terrible to start the season um was now just absolutely battering teams left and right um so i thought that was probably a good example to go with yeah definitely i mean funny enough i took a friend to that because it was his birthday i took my best mate and he's a southampton fan and uh me being me i said to him before before we go i've got your birthday present you might not like it because you don't support chelsea but I'll guarantee you, you'll actually see a better quality of football than you'll ever see at St. Mary's. <laughs> and bless their hearts, Chelsea. How charitable of you. Yeah. I know, and they didn't let me down. They didn't They didn't make me look like a mug for once. It was wonderful. And he, he, he sat there looking at me. It was wonderful because I used to, I mean, I've known him since I was about, I don't know, eight years old. So I used to play football with him in teams growing up, you know, so we know our football. And I was, he, he was looking at me and I was looking at him and he was, he was going, fucking hell, this is good. <laughs> 
you know. <laughs> so I felt so so uh, relieved, really. Uh, anyway, you've got you're going to pick one match, aren't you? You're you're absolutely your favourite match, and I, I've got I've got. You see, what people don't know is I've got Brian's notes here, so I get a, a heads up on this, and this is interesting, and I'm intrigued by this. So tell me the first one. Yeah, so I, I tried to define match originally as like just kind of like a 90 minute performance, and and I. You know, I could pick something like the five goals against Everton, but I can't do that. So I tried to skew towards, you know, what matches have you actually been there to enjoy? And then I had a problem because, you know, frankly, I'm lucky enough to have seen enough matches now that I forget some of who we, you know, I can't remember them all. Um, so I went with two that really stood out and it was, you know, coincidentally the same week. And if you remember, this is the week that we actually met in person for the first time. Yeah. It was in April, 2017. And it was that, you know, to start out the week, it was poor. We played Crystal Palace at home. There were three goals in like the first 14 minutes. We were 1-0 up. We lost 2-1. And we dropped points when we really needed them. We were only a couple points ahead of Tottenham at the time. And I just remember, sunny day, you know, my parents' first game. I was with other people, their first game. We walked down to the rows and we drank a lot. And we said, it's going to be all right. And that's my first memory of, of drinking with Chidge. And maybe one of the only ones I'll remember <laughs> when all is said and done. So, um, you know, fast forward now to the Wednesday, um, we hosted City at home. We, we basically had to win that game. Tottenham was all, already winning that night. That was um, Eden Hazard's brace. Uh, and we very nearly threw it away at the end. And I think it was John Stones that somehow put a ball from two yards out over the bar and into the upper tier. I don't know how we missed that, but we won that match. And that one really kind of stands out to me because beforehand we met uh, Spy and Bobby Tambling and Val Tambling for dinner uh, beforehand. And I got to take uh, my friend Steven and his dad and his dad had grown up idolizing Bobby. So to kind of like just sit back and watch them basically gab for like an hour straight and we all had like a nice meal and some drinks before the match. And then there's 12, 14 of us there. Um, that was a really special match for me because if you put everything together, the result, the day out, the experience, I absolutely love that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was top. And uh, yeah. And the final one, the third. <laughs> yeah, so the I, I, I had two that were ties. So uh, that weekend we went to Bournemouth away um, so obviously knowing, you know, very lucky to get a couple of tickets in the away end. There's only like 1200 Chelsea there. We knew it would be vocal, um, sunshine, excellent day out. We sang for 90 minutes. Um, and then to, to kind of cap it off, it was two, one Alonzo has this brilliant free kick and, and we're up three, one in the second half. We all knew we're winning the league at that point. We started singing about it. It was to date one of the best. Chelsea atmospheres I've ever been a part of, ever heard. Um, and just that whole trip, minus Dan Silver's tiny car. Uh, thank you for the ride, Dan. But it was basically a clown car. Uh, everything about that day was superb. Brilliant. Yeah, I wasn't at that one, sadly. I was at Bournemouth the year before when we won 4-1. And uh, uh, when we were absolutely awful. And uh, and uh, I think uh, I do remember. And we had to play Tottenham in the next match because that was the year that Tottenham should have won the league. Yeah. And uh, we were really angry with the whole, with, with everything really, but particularly the players. And they were like loving it, you know, 4-1 up. And we were, all we could sing for like the last half an hour was beat fucking Tottenham. You better beat fucking that. Tottenham. Yeah. So I think, I, I think if I remember correctly, um, Richard Weeks and some of the other Shed guys 
uh, after because especially because the result was so bad, they went down outside Cobham in the couple days before the Tottenham match, and they printed up banners and were basically singing that as the players were coming in and out of the training ground. I'd like to think that's what that's what got into the players that second half against Spurs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it was it was without doubt it was sung with a lot of menace, and I think the yeah. player the players got that. Yeah, because it was, of course, Gus Hiddink was our interim again, wasn't he? But there you go. Um, excellent stuff. Now, uh, oh, I like this. I don't I don't even remember asking this question, but uh, here it is. Favourite goal scene live? Yeah, again, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm looking through this and I haven't really seen any fantastic goals live. I mean, that Alonzo free kick at Bournemouth was fantastic. And that was kind of before we knew he could do that on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, William had this fantastic volley hit into the ground to win the game at Lille away um, in the fall of 2019. Uh, it was like 15 minutes ago. He, he was under pressure. Cross came in. He hit it into the ground over and then over the keeper, bouncing over the keeper. And we won that 2-1. Uh, that was also good. I was at Anfield when um, he had that kind of cross that ended up being the shot that went in right in front of the away end. Like if you look, I was at such an angle behind the goal that the ball was coming like directly at my face uh, as it went into the corner. And it's just one of those moments, like if you played sports or you've been at matches like long enough, you know how it goes when like time just kind of seems to sit still and it just is in slow motion. They could see the ball like tumbling and rotating. Um, so I put that one on there just because the celebrations were epic and um, you know, shutting, shutting Liverpool supporters up is, is the best, but I, what really stands out to me is the best goal I have not seen live. And that is Alonzo's, um, his goal against Tottenham in 20, uh, 2020, a couple of weeks before COVID shut everything down. And the reason I didn't see it was because my usual schedule is at halftime to not kind of combat the lines. I wait around a little bit and let him die down. And then I go for a pint and a pie. And I was stuck in the pie line and came back and realized that we were two nil up and I had missed probably the best goal that I would have seen live. Uh, but my obsession with finding a chicken pie uh, was paramount. But that goal made me 200, uh, 200 pounds that day. Well, so big. it wasn't a complete loss. No, indeed. I remember that day very well, largely because uh, I met up with you later, didn't I? In, in <laughs> I don't even remember the name of the pub, but it was Nell's Court. I I found it out a couple months ago. It's it's probably in our text chat, but I can't remember that no. pub's name either now. If you asked me to find it on a map, I wouldn't be able to find it. The last thing I remember, um, so I owe Ben Horner this, um, uh, my friend who runs the Boston Blues. Uh, before the match, he was going to place a bet, and I gave him 20 pounds. I'm like, go put 20 on Alonzo to score. I didn't see him again until that mm. pub, and he gave me my money. The last thing I remember was promptly spending it on a shot of Jaegers uh, for the group that we were with. And I suspect that probably contributed to uh, what we got into over the next couple of hours. Yeah, I, I, I well, I wasn't going to go. I was going to go home. I had to get the train back to, to Winchester. But Dan insisted that I come and join him. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> for one more pint, Chidge. Come on, Chidge. Just have one more pint. All right, all right. Do you right. remember how many trains you missed? Because three. Dan and I three. would look at the watch. And, three. Yeah, hey, when's the next one, Chidge? When's the next one? Oh, you should grab that yeah, one. But, yeah, but, you know, the other thing was every time I tried to buy a round, you know, it was like, no, Chidge, your pint's here. 
I said, well, how does that work? Well, I have got no, 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 don't worry. Don't. Because every, 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 you were watching. Every time I finished my pint, suddenly and mysteriously another one would appear. So you were, I mean, I needed one too. It just yeah. makes sense to get two at a time. You were trying to sabotage me. It kind of worked as well. Sorry. No, that's all right. You can do it anytime you like. You know that. Um, uh, that I mean, I have to say that was quite interesting because uh, that was the last match I went to for, well, for the whole kind of lockdown period, you know. So it was a, I always felt that was a pretty good way. Actually, do you know what? I'm not, I'm telling a porky there. That was the last league match I went to. Yeah. Because I went to the Bayern Munich match, which was horrible because we got humped 3 0. Well, so I, you know, I, I love that. I love that experience. I'm, I'm glad that we didn't take things for granted that day. Maybe, maybe we did mentally, but um, so uh, me, Carlos, a few other friends, we were booked for Munich away the next month. And then um, I think at the weekend was Leicester away in the FA Cup. So we were coming over for like six days to do both of those. And, you know, that, that was the last trip. And it happened to be by happenstance because I, uh, was I started a new job and uh, the company was based in France and I basically told them like listen like if I'm in Paris I'm going to London for the weekend hope you're okay with that bye um, so to you know to get there was kind of a stroke of luck in itself that trip to Munich obviously ended up being canceled and then I didn't see anybody for about two years so I'm glad that that day um, spotty memories aside worked out as it did I think it was meant to yeah, exactly that. I mean, as I said, I, I do now remember I went to the Bayern game, but that was the last kind of proper home league match. And it, I always thought, well, you know what? If I never see another Chelsea match again, that's a pretty good way to go out. I mean, actually, more yeah. to do with what happened afterwards rather than the match itself. Although beating Spurs, you can never, ever, ever, ever underestimate how good that feels. Um, so, Brian, what, what's your best Chelsea moment, period? Yeah, I, I, I've just struggled to quantify, like, how, how does one quantify this? Um, is it being there? Is it winning a trophy? Is it the result? Is it something memorable? Um, the entire quality, you know, the quality of the day out or the, the trip in general? Um, you know, Chelsea's given me so much opportunity to do things that have been amazing. I, I talked about, you know, being there when we won the league after watching for countless years, week in, week out at the pub and not being able to do that. Um, I think people kind of forget what that's like. And, and that's a different experience for people here too, because, you know, there's entire days you're at the matches, you know, for the most part, week in and week out in the league. Um, and you can celebrate there. You see what's going on. You know, we're coming to the pub here at, at admittedly some odd hours. Um, and we're doing that for eight, nine months out of the year. So to go five years between actually winning it uh, in the competition in, in which we're in every single year, that's tough. And I think then that makes winning it more special. Um, I think, you know, just as a personal side, I, I never really traveled when I was younger. I think I probably wouldn't have been a, a global traveler without Chelsea. So to go to Azerbaijan, um, to watch us play uh, Karabakh, Karabag, I forget how to pronounce it now. Um, I would have never thought I would have ever ended up on that side of the world. And to do that trip for like 48 hours, um, to be there with, you know, only 900 other fans who made the trip, who, you know, a few of, of whom um, took me in and I, I spent the entire time with them and, and just had an incredible experience. You know, those those are the things that I traveled to Chelsea for. And, yeah. and you know, if you're asking me to pick one or two, that's what really stands out. Yeah, and I, I like that. That's that's a good way to put it, mate. I, th- I, I don't know why. I always, I always think worst moments easier to pick, actually. Yeah. I, Moscow for me is boring. I mean, it's, you know, I, I don't want to 
yeah, it sucks. Um, but it's everybody's answer. So, um, you know, how about Thursday? Thursday was a terrible day. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. like yeah. just waking up and getting, I mean, I woke up at like 530 AM and my phone is already buzzing because of the, the shed chat uh, on WhatsApp. And usually when it's buzzing that much, I know something's wrong. It's usually a managerial sacking or a problem with the player or Lukaku gave another interview about how he wants out, you know, something, something kind of like groundbreaking of, of that nature. It's never good when there's that much yeah. communication that early. So, I mean, that was a terrible day, but I mean, you know, Frank getting sacked and, and, you know, I was quite vocal about this in my email, the fan cast last year um, that felt like a death in the family. It really felt like, you know, this, here we go again, but it's not the same time. Uh, it's not the same as all the other times. That was really tough. Uh, the attempted buyout of the, the CPO about 10 years ago was tough. And, you know, hopefully we don't go through that again now. Um, you, you know, another one, we, we were at dinner with Spy when he found out that Ray Wilkins had uh, fallen and gone to the hospital. And that was just a worse night into an even worse day into a bad week and then throw losing to Tottenham and, and drawing late against West Ham at home. On top of that, that was just a, you know, a miserable week to be at Chelsea. So, you know, those are probably, I, I could, you know, go probably go into some results. I, I don't really get hung up on cup finals uh, anymore. You know, the quote JK, we know the refereeing is abysmal um, kind of getting worked up about it. It just doesn't make that much sense anymore. I can get over losing a one-off match. Uh, it's more some of the things that cause, you know, severe emotional pain and um, really make other people hurt in the same way those are the things that stand out to me as being the worst moments yeah I, well absolutely i concur with that entirely and uh i mean what's i mean you know just thinking actually about ray and, and and i didn't know that story that you were with spy that night and i know spy would have known him very well i mean i knew ray wilkins pretty well as well because i worked with him in back in 2006 and we always kind of got on very got on really really well and uh we always kept in touch and uh i was in tears when i heard that's for sure and i i heard on the radio that he'd gone into hospital because he'd had a fall and it sounded quite bad but uh, uh you know when i found out he died it was it was really gutting a bitch slap as they say um but uh, you know you're you're right i mean it's just kind of really just kind of serendipitous that i've got you on today really isn't it because you know we've had a few existential crises in our time at chelsea haven't we and i mean i remember yeah. i mean i was too young to really kind of get what was going on in the late 70s when you know we nearly went bankrupt because of the east stand um i didn't really fully appreciate probably because i was too drunk then but uh we nearly went into the third division in uh 82 83 i think and uh obviously i was much more aware of what was going on in the kind of late 80s early 90s when we were really under threat because the marler estates and cabra wanted to sell the ground uh, to build flats on it and whole Fulham Park Rangers madness was kicking around so I was very aware of it then um and I and, and I think the reality is in 2003 I don't think any of us really knew how close we were to bankruptcy at all I don't think it was common knowledge at all it was only afterwards that we found out how close we were I mean all we thought was oh we're in a bit of trouble we could do with getting into the Champions League you know that's how it felt so this this is very different because this is like in your face clear and present you know the, the government are trying to kill our football club, Brian. It's the shit is real. It's this is the most turmoil I think that 
you know, speaking for most international fans that they will have ever experienced. And, you know, even for, for you domestics too, um, because of recent memory, um, you know, we're going on 20 years of not having to worry about these things. So um, it, it's obviously it's a tough time. There's conflicting information every single day. I mean, if you look at the speed at which things have, have gone, it was just two weeks ago that the statement was issued that Roman wanted to place the club um, stewardship with the charitable trustees. You know, four days later, that plan was basically in flames, announcing he's selling. Now we're sanctioned. Now we've had the license amended. Um, everything is just changing every 24 to 48 hours. And anything in life that isn't consistent is always going to kind of be looked at as a challenge. I do think we'll get through it, but, you know, I'm, I'm I hope people understand the gravity of the situation right now. Uh, I'll, I'll use an example. I, I didn't realize that I would have to educate people on why they shouldn't be celebrating three um, suspending their sponsorship. Uh, because there's a lot of people out there that have complained, you know, that the logo is ugly and they don't want to buy a shirt because of it. You know, when sponsors are suspending their sponsorship of the club, and money isn't flowing in, you may not be able to buy a shirt to whine about in three months. Yeah. There, there's bigger things going on. And I, I don't think a lot of people still kind of realize that there, there may be a quick out of this if we can be sold. Um, it would appear that, you know, Roman is, is truthful and that he wants what's best for the club and he doesn't want to have any proceeds out of this go to his pocket. Um, but it's still a very delicate, very complicated situation. And the reality is um, I, I, I don't think a lot of people understand how bad it could get. Uh, and they, you know, maybe some don't want to know, maybe some don't want to entertain that because Chelsea is the one good thing in their life. I, I'm, I'm thinking back what, about what Tony said on the show last night, he's been following the club, you know, for over 50 years. And that's why, you know, him and others are, are emotional about it, despite knowing what's going on in the world and how bad that is, but it's a very complicated, very delicate, very sad situation. Can only hope that, you know, for all of our sakes, it gets resolved as soon as possible. Well, hell yeah. And I mean, I think this is a really good point. And this is a message that, you know, the supporters trust are keen to get out to as many people as we, as many Chelsea supporters as we possibly can. And in fact, beyond that as well, but you know, this is real, you know, we could either lose the club period we really could it's that it's that bad or we would end up with a with an owner who just wants to rape and pillage it you know asset strip it sell sell it if they if they can some somehow find a way of circumventing the cpo the chelsea pitch owners sell it for profit you know sell the land for profit it's it's it is we are that we are that close to the worst possible scenarios happening which is why we're working so hard to try and make sure that that doesn't happen but and I, it's really interesting what you say. People are just like not latching on to that. I'm not surprised, Brian. I mean, this is classic, classic syndrome of the grieving process. There's a lot of people out there who are still in denial. And there's a lot of people who are still in shock. And there's a lot of people who are very angry. Guess which category I belong to? All three? No. Anger, mate. Ang well, yeah, that would be my second choice. Anger is an energy. But uh, yeah, you know, we should be angry. You know, I mean, I think the other difficulty with it is, is that 
the complicating factor about it is that you know we've been conflicted into this by by being made to feel shame and i think that's a very difficult thing shame uh but we we should be ashamed that we supported a club that was owned by roman abramovich and uh, a, a putin sympathizer and all of that and i think that that's that's been very difficult for people that conflict um but i don't think people should feel any shame for supporting their football club ever away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery you in order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com Cheech. jk in all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chich, I'd be bereft, inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> it's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep. NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow. Great. Ah, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK, and best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you, thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy, I could cry. (laughs) Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Football Fancast. There, there's always more than two sides to every story. Um, and I'm thinking back because something JK said in the last week, you know, about the money and, and suspicions where it came from. I, I'm not ashamed to say I've been for a while, definitely in a, a minority of fans that have said that it's it's probably best that Roman sells. Um, now that's not all to do with his background. I'm very upset with the way some aspects of the club are managed. Um, I also happen to have insight in, in working with some of those individuals and kind of seeing behind the curtain. Um, so I have personal experience with that. Um, I, I just think that, you know, it's, it, it's a difficult time for everyone and you're allowed to be upset about multiple things. You can care about people in Ukraine and you can be angry at Russia and you can be happy with Chelsea because that's the one thing that is your constant in life. And you can recognize, you know, at least in my case, my perspective, that sanctions are the right thing to do. Um, But you can be mad at what 
the UK government is doing because many aspects of this are um, a witch hunt. And what I what I kind of try to put out there and, and without getting too geopolitical about it is that there's not a lot of alternatives right now with, with what's going on in the world. You know, three, you know, three weeks ago or so, a lot of things for everybody's lives were thrown upside down. Um, none more so than, than the people in Ukraine. Um, we could do nothing, which I think morally wasn't an option. We could, or, you know, we could send a lot of young people to go fight in a foreign land and die as we've had. And I think that, you know, what we've chosen to do as a global society is try to find a middle ground, you know, one that was, you know, basically the, the vision of post-World War One and post-World War Two and, and post-Cold War in that countries would step up and do the right thing by working together to stamp out behaviors like what's going on and to dissuade countries from fighting in order to save lives and to benefit the global community. And, you know, in, in a largely capitalist society that comes in the form of sanctions and sanctions are always going to hurt people who have less money and resources first before they hurt the people at the top who are insulated from that. And, you know, the hope here is that I, I don't expect Roman to come out and make a statement for his personal safety, looking at how other oligarchs uh, have frankly been murdered for, for their political views against Russia. Um, but I, I do think that the hope here is that enough people will stand up and put pressure on that it will end this and it will save more lives than if we were to just go marching into Eastern Europe and do things like it was 70 years ago. And if the price that I have to pay, that many of us have to pay is that we have a change in owner at our football club, that's one that I can live with and I'm okay with. Very, very, very eloquently put, my friend, I have to say. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, on the whole geopolitical stuff, um, yeah, sanctions are weird, aren't they? Because they, there's such a lag between them happening. But the reality is at the stage we're at at the moment with it, if we, if we, I mean, you know, Ukraine are not NATO, are not part of NATO, but if we were to march in there, the chances are we might actually instigate, you know, a third world war, which would be a nuclear one. So you'll be saying bye bye to Chelsea anyway in that context. But uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think this is the world we're living in, Brian. It's become a very black and white world. And I think a lot of that's driven by the paranoid schizoid behavior in, in terms of social media. But I, I'm, I, as you know, I'm a very gray, nuanced person. I like to see things yeah. from all sides. And, you know, I absolutely believe that you can, I mean, I am appalled, beyond horrified at what is going on in Ukraine. I couldn't be more, you know, angry and uh, vehemently opposed to Putin and everything that he stands for and is doing um, and hate all of that. But at the same time, I can still love my football club, the club that I've loved for, you know, over 40 years, nearly 50 years, you know, and, 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 and everything that's been happening in that time. You know, you can actually hold both both positions. It's as as a mature adult, emotionally mature adult. I think it's cap we're capable of doing that. Uh, you but, can, yeah. you can, and, and I I do think and I hope I'm not going to be naive to, enough to say that this will take place, but I do hope that this is the start of a global shift with, with everything that's gone on the last 24 months and you know more of an emphasis on the rights uh, for people um, to live to work. Um, I, I hope that 
this will start more conversations and, and change around how we view billionaires and capitalism within our society because we know that there's other owners in the league. I mean, I'm not sure that there's one ethical billionaire, 100% ethical billionaire out there. There are other owners in the league who have just as shady, if not more shady ties. And there's nothing being done about them, you know, frankly, because their countries and their assets are allied with our, our respective governments. While what's going on right now, uh, Russia is not. And so I hope that this starts a conversation and leads to change where we as fans, as people can start to question how, how these billionaires are, are coming by their wealth, how they treat their employees and you know their, their subordinates and the impact of these people buying football clubs for any purposes. And, and maybe that will start something in England you know, at the least where even with our new, you know, uh, predicted new ownership that we will be able to have, you know, an honest conversation about how they came about their money um, and what their plans are for the football club and, and society and, and as a whole. So uh, probably enough, <laughs> enough uh, politics for me on that. But um, I really hope that that's the case. This could be a great opportunity for change and for growth. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, that's that's something I know for a fact that the trust is working very hard to expedite by hopefully being able to position ourselves where we can at least be heard by any potential new owner and the government so that they can actually make happen a lot of the things from the fan-led review, like the Golden Share, for example, yeah. and, and so many other things in that too. But you told me uh, before we did this that you, you might have some inside information on actually you know a, a potential bid or a potential new owner that we haven't heard a lot about in the press because it's all been nick candy and whoever he's got behind him it's been Bowley, hasn't it and uh yeah one or two others but uh, this i didn't realize that uh, the guys you're talking about might be interested yeah so um the ricketts family who made their fortune through td ameritrade um, it's been suggested in the press that in the last couple of days that that their bid is one of the more serious ones. Um, so the Ricketts, obviously, um, they are the owner of the Chicago Cubs. Um, Chicago Cubs play at Wrigley. Um, our bar, Greystone, is a four-minute walk. I'm a Cubs season ticket holder. My family's been Cubs fans our, our entire lives. Um, the Ricketts, I want to just kind of provide some information on them, you know, Tom Ricketts is, is the head basically of the family and, and really the chieftain in charge of the Cubs. He's a longtime fan. He grew up in the neighborhoods where I live, um, had been going to the Cubs since um, a young boy. They purchased the team back in 2009. And what they had to deal with were, you know, a team that hadn't won a lot in a long time. Um, but the big, I think the big parallel is the redevelopment of Wrigley Field. So Wrigley Field was built in about 1912. Um, when they purchased it in 2009, many elements of it were not up to modern standards. It was falling apart. I mean, you could sit in the lower tier and there would be concrete pieces from the top tier falling on you. So they had to go and put in nets underneath to catch this and make sure that um, it was, you know, basically that it wasn't falling on fans. I, if I could uh, picture this for uh, people on your side of the pond, think of like the worst championship in league one grounds that you went to and 
and kind of some of those horrid facilities that you've had to deal with. Um, and in a lot of ways, that was Wrigley. Seats 40,000 people. Um, it's historic in its location. To move the Cubs somewhere else would have been a huge outcry. And, um, you know, frankly, that probably would have generated protests too. So they came in and they spent heavily not only on the team and players, but they've redeveloped the entire area. They, they kept the shell of Wrigley Field. They basically stripped everything that was inside and rebuilt it from scratch and, and brought it up to a modern standard. Um, unfortunately, that did uh, allow for, you know, advertising. Um, there, there's in a much larger increased commercial presence these days, but it translated to spending money on players on the field. And in 2016, uh, the Cubs won uh, the World Series for the first time in 108 years. You know, my my concern about Are this they taught is them that, in disguise. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, you know, and and nowhere near. Um, I mean, nowhere getting nowhere near that. They haven't even played for the title since 1945. Before that, so um, I think the real concern here is you hear all this and you're like, well, why wouldn't that be a good thing? And it's because since. Um, you know, basically, I think they're trying to make their money back on spending, you know, close to a billion dollars on redeveloping Wrigley Field, building the hotels and all the bars and restaurants next door. They've been spending less on the team. The team has been underperforming. There's been a very public battle with the fans over the TV network. So the way that it works over here is that Cubs games were um, on uh, over the air. And some of them were then on a cable package that was part of um, uh, Xfinity and, and NBC. And the Cubs decided that we're gonna open our own television network and we're going to charge you separately and every, all Cubs games, 162 a season, will be on a network that we will control and we will generate more revenue and profit to use on the team from this. Um, the issue was they rolled this out and that network was not available to everyone because of um, the rights fees for like Xfinity to carry it. For instance, Xfinity is the largest market here in Chicago. So half the season went by and people couldn't watch Cubs games. So, I mean, picture it being on at your three o'clock kickoff and you can't watch any match for half a season. And so there's been a very public battle with the fans about that. They, they definitely have lost the trust. And I, I just think that for, you know, for the Ricketts to come in, I see a scenario where every dollar spent on the Cubs is a pound less spent on Chelsea. I don't think they'll accept losing money. I have a definite conflict of interest. I, I don't want those two worlds to be colliding. And I'm really worried about how they're going to come in and look at the development of the stadium, how they're going to treat the fans. I don't think they have a clue about supporter culture. I think if you showed them videos of the Super League protests from last season, they're going to go wide-eyed and, and be like, what the hell are we getting ourselves into? Because we don't, we don't have that kind of passion and, um, and action here uh, over something, you know, that, that threatens the game and what we care about. So, you know, a very long-winded answer there. But I also think just, you know, with the Ricketts, it applies to some other American owners that they just don't understand the business models and the culture and the passion that drives a lot of this. That makes me worry about the investment into the team potentially uprooting us to Wembley for three or more years to redevelop if, you know, they, they accept the arrangement with the CPO at all um, and just want to look at another site. So 
there's a lot of questions there. And, you know, I have a lot of negative feelings about them being rumored for a bid. Brian, it's, it's so nice to hear an American saying this because it saves me having to say it and then me being accused of being a racist. So, you know, it's lovely to hear you say that because I've, I've been saying the same, you know, I get, I get it out there, you know, and, and there it's such a, it's such a completely different culture. It'll always be uh, driven on very cold, hard business principles. And I mean, I mean, my, my, my main argument against having an American owner is that, you know, these guys work on a franchise model, it's a franchise. It's not about the community the club was born in. I mean, I, I actually, you probably don't know this, but I'm actually quite fond. I wouldn't go so far as to say I'm a fan because, you know, I don't go there. So I think that disqualifies me. But I'm quite fond of the LA Dodgers because I went to LA and I went to see a game out there. And, you know, and I've even got the hat and the T-shirt to prove it. But uh, I got kind of interested in that. You know, me being me, you can understand this. It wasn't good enough to just go to the game. I had to find out about them. You know, and I found out all this stuff. They were called the Brooklyn Dodgers because they were from Brooklyn and it was all about the trams and people dodging the trams and all of that. And I'm thinking, well, why the fuck are they in L.A. then? And there we go. QED. That's what happens in the States. That's the mentality of the kind of owners that we're talking about. I, I To kind of cement this home for, for everyone listening, not from America, the, the big difference is that these franchises, there's no threat of relegation. Their, their, their monies their TV money is guaranteed every single year if they're the best team or the worst team in the league. They're not ever going to be relegated. There's no threat uh, to their standing. If they expand the league, then an ownership group is basically going to have to pay a billion dollars or more to come in and open up a franchise that would dilute those, those dollars a little bit until the next TV deal is even more money. So I don't think that they understand that if, when you come in, you can't sit on your heels um, you you kind of can't hope for overperformance year to year. You need to spend because spending brings at least some guarantee that you'll be close to securing revenues. And and we know that you know the difference between fourth and fifth in England uh, can be something like you know 50 million pounds, if not more now with the new TV deal. So that that does not exist here. We we don't have that disparity in the numbers. And I really worry that the owners just you know. Their lawyers or consultants can tell them until they're blue in the face. Until they've lived it, I don't think that they understand what that actually means. Yeah, very, very good point. Uh, there you go, folks. That's what I call bonus content. Uh, but uh, back to the football, Brian, and uh, possibly a good thing too, because uh, we want to know what your funniest Chelsea moments are, apart from obviously making me th- miss three trains by pouring Guinness yeah. down my throat. I mean, again, you know, rec- recollection of a goldfish. I'll put that one up there about making you miss trains. But um, I just remember, everyone remembers Basingwa just kicking Ben Ayun out of play yes. <laughs> way yes. back when and uh, the foul not being given against him. Um, it, it's just a, an absolutely hilarious moment. Um, you know, tragic then that we signed Ben Ayun. And uh, I mean, you know, talk about, talk about, you know, wasted money and signings. Um, but speaking of him, I saw him in person in 2013. So the club did this postseason tour and they went to St. Louis. Um, and everyone listening to this familiar with St. Louis is probably asking, why the hell did they go play in St. Louis? Well, they had to go play Man City um, in order to print more money. So this is before the season is over. So uh, Rafa Benitez is still under contract and is still the manager. Um, and everybody loathes him at this point. So we went to what was an open training session the night before the match. 
Um, and he is on the side of the field where like our little away end was, and we're just giving him a load of abuse. And, you know, rather than like do anything about it or, or wave, I just remember him walking over to the other side of the pitch and staying there for the next hour, um, which tells me that he heard it and it obviously affected him. Um, but it just, it, it just seemed like he always just seemed like such a coward to me. And our, and then later on that night, we were eating and drinking at, at what was the player's hotel. And I saw a lot of, I, I mean, I saw Ron Gourlay there. We met a bunch of the players and such, but the memory that stands out to me was Rafa in the buffet line, loading up his plate after enduring all that abuse from us like two hours before. And that's one of the things uh, among many that just kind of stand out to me as being funny. So, so your last and enduring memory of Rafa Benitez is him actually literally being a fat Spanish waiter. It is, yeah. Except he was serving himself. But I guess, you know, if you're your own waiter, then, you know, yeah. You get to eat more, don't you? So there you go. That's a great story. I like that. And uh, what about some of your favorite current players, Brian? Uh, again, you know, tough. Dave, obviously, um, you know, I, he doesn't get the respect that he deserves. I think he should go down probably um, with what he's won in his stature as a top 10 uh, player in the club's history. Mason Mount, obviously, if you don't love Mason Mount, I'm going to assume that you have a very weird Twitter account uh, that you probably should have locked uh, so the public Well, and a hard it. drive you should get checked, possibly. Yep, exactly. Um, Ingolo, Thiago Silva. I love Marcus Alonso just because everyone hates him. Um, it's just, I, I love players like that that just rile you up so much. Um, if, if people can remember uh, the 90s Bulls having Dennis Rodman, who everyone hated, and he would just he would get under your skin and it made him better, it made the opponents worse. Alonzo will just do anything and everything to make your day worse. And I laugh hysterically every time it happens. I have a huge amount of love for Marcus Alonso for many of the same reasons, but of course, mostly for his beautiful hair. He's, he has beautiful hair. Yeah, and you know, you're a man with fine hair. I'm a man with fine hair. We can both say that. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting that hair, that's for sure. No, I, 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 well, I don't know, you know, because in the lockdown, my hair, my hair did grow a fair bit, as you will remember. And uh, can, you, can you take free kicks like him? Uh, no. I'm about as slow as him, though, that's for sure. <laughs> But uh, my wife was very enamored of it because unbeknownst to her and, and me, it has to be said that when my hair grows now, I, it gets quite curly. So I'd get these beautiful yeah. little ringlets happening. And she was most enamored of this and was like refusing to let me get it cut. But there you go. And I thought it's not bad for a bloke of 56, really, is it? So there you go. No comment, says Brian. Anyway, uh, all-time Chelsea hero. <laughs> yeah, uh, easy. Frank Lampard. Um, and I've got Bobby Tambling on here. I mean, there, there's a lot that you can go with. There's but, a lot of goals there, um, mate. Yeah, there is. Um, so with Bobby, met him in Charlotte in 2016 when, when uh, Chelsea and America brought him on tour uh, for the tour stops. And, and him and his wife, Val, are just absolutely uh, lovely people. I mentioned the city game the following year where we, where we went to dinner and drinks with them. And um, I stay in touch with them pretty semi regularly. Um, his banner was the first one I designed for the ground. Um, so to do that and to do it for somebody who at that point I felt was underrepresented because of his contributions and how great he was. Um, and also I think because he, you know, kind of didn't fit the Kings of the Kings road um, aesthetic uh, at the time that, you know, he's kind of 
pass by for bigger names like Osgood and, um, you know, what he's given, I mean, his amount of goals, the kind of person he is, how generous he is with his time for any fans who want to talk to him. He will sit there and, and tell you stories for hours. Um, he's just such a lovely person. I've got a lot of time for him and Val and uh, they're wonderful, wonderful people. Yeah, I de definitely agree with that. I mean, I've well, two things really. I, I, I had the pleasure of interviewing him with a you know dear, dearly much lamented Martin King a few years back, and he was just a delight, an absolute delight. But uh, the best, better memory than that is when we we had a we had a raffle out party. I think. I mean, I call it that now, but actually, it was just a just an excuse for Chelsea fancast to have a party with all the people that we liked and Putney Station and we had a sponsor at the time lovely Brian from Exposed Designs and he paid for it which made it even better and uh and I got a phone call from uh no I think I phoned Spy I said Spy do you want to come to our party and he said uh, yeah but it's like slight problem I've got Bobby Tambling with me I said why is that a problem he said well he's he's not very well you know and you know what are we going to do with him and I said well okay the party's upstairs so maybe he can't make it upstairs but maybe if you sit down with him downstairs he can come and we'll just come to him and actually that's what spice it brilliant that's what we'll do so he turned up and we had a table downstairs with bobby and basically it was like a long line all evening people wanting to come and meet bobby tambling yeah. and, and 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 just talk to him and and i think it really because he really wasn't very well at the time if you remember yeah. and uh it really, I think it, I, I like to think it really kind of, you know, cheered him up and made him feel a lot better. You know, he's getting a lot of love that night and absolutely deservedly so because he's an absolute gent. He really is. He is. Anyway, guess what, Brian? We come to the last question. You're, he says, oh, thank God for that. What time is it over in Chicago at the moment? It is uh, about one thirty in the afternoon. Yeah, you're getting hungry, aren't you? It's uh, lunchtime. <laughs> <laughs> About, I mean, I uh, I didn't eat breakfast and I went straight to a pint. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, okay, oh, we, we won't be long. I promise. Okay, favorite song, <laughs> favorite song or songs even. This, this should have been the easiest one, and I still struggled. <laughs> uh, I mean, okay, nothing on an away end, uh, away day in the away end when you just scored and the entire ground goes silent and it's Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. You know, yeah. that's the best one. Nothing's gonna top that. Um, carefree champions of europe you'll never sing that um one man went to mo my you know my specialty if my voice doesn't give out uh at the bar these days um and then uh really fond memories of fabregas's magic obviously from being over there in 2015 and um i remember that started that was art i think it was arsenal away a couple of weeks prior um that that had started and then the week before we left was leicester away we had won um they were singing it much of the game and then getting there and then i mean we just ended up singing that uh after we won uh the league all day so those are the ones that stand out i'm missing probably 20 or 30 of them here um shout out to mr mark whirl and his amazing book carefree where you can get all of the songs um and learn what they are yeah, so absolutely right it's a fine book actually with some some that even i didn't know so there you go Brian, I have to say that has been the most fun I've had for an hour and ten minutes all day. Oh, fantastic! I, I'd say the same. You've enjoyed Thank it. You. Thank you. Yeah. I will see you. I will see you sooner rather than later. And I'm thinking, you know, if um, if a trip in May doesn't work out with everything that's going on, 
probably should just come in the summer for one of those fan cast piss ups. Yeah. And we'll just yeah. go in the Chelsea pensioner again and yeah. have a lot of fun. It would save it would save me video calling you this time. Yeah. If I'm just there. God, I forgot that. Yeah. I mean, people <laughs> may or may not know this, but last summer, because we hadn't seen each other for like ages, because of course there were no you know, we weren't allowed to go to the matches or, or enough of them. Um <clears throat> we I put on a party. Well, I say a party, it was just us, you know, about 12 15 of us from the fan cast and we all met up in the pensioner and we booked the kind of the, the little garden outside so we had a bit of privacy and uh we and i put about 500 quid behind the bar which went in about 10 minutes obviously but uh, we had a great time and kerry turned up kerry dixon turned up because it was his birthday that day so we had a cake for him and uh and as i said you know people just kept keeping on putting money behind the bar i said 500 i'm done that's my lot it's up to you now and and they did. And I remember, I mean, we started about 12 and I remember about half eight. It thinned out a bit by this time. I'm still there. And and who phones up and does a video call with us? But Brian and manages to put some bloody money behind the bar as well. Quite unbelievable. Outstanding. Outstanding, the, mate. The only ones left, you, Dan and Dane. Uh, yeah. Right yeah. There. Tony gone. Tony gone by then. Yeah. 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 He was gone. God, there we go. That sounds about right. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll be the fourth next time. You will. I I love that. I, I I need to plan another one. That's for sure. And I'll make sure I let you know. All right. Excellent. Thank you so much, my friend. Now, pleasure, mate. Been real, real fun. I've enjoyed that. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.